Good morning. Let's stand together as we continue our worship through song and scripture. If you're using your hymnals, it's 475 and 506. Otherwise, everything is on the screen for you. this scripture with me Philippians 121 for to me to live is Christ and in Lamentations 324 we have the Lord is my portion therefore I will put my hope in him
Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to find Philippians chapter number one. And I think we have a wonderful passage to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. I like, I like the idea, the truth here rather, that God finishes what he starts. Uh, I grew up and uh, my, my dad and mom often played music at all sorts of things, you know, fish fries and stews and family get-togethers and and, and my daddy, you know, used to get on my nerves because he seemed to forget everything I, would, I, I wanted him to remember and to remember everything I wanted him to forget. You know, like this, you know, we'll take y'all down to the pool when we're done pulling this barn in Tobago. He'd forget all about that, and it was time to put out some irrigation pipes or something. But then, like, he could be playing a song or talking to the crowd or tuning his guitar and see me out there do something wrong and I'd get this look. I'm talking, it could be 75 yards away and that look was, what he said in it was, when we get home, I'm going to whip your behind. <laughs> and it'd just be a look and I'd say, huh, there's one. And he would keep that promise, man. He, he would give that look and I don't know, he would smile and sing those songs and tell funny stories and play music and we'd get in the car and we'd go home and we'd get out and he'd pull that belt off and tear my behind up. And I'm like, man, what just happened? How is his memory so good in these situations? I think, I think uh, our father in heaven never forgets what he promised. And whether it's the challenge to discipline his children because he loves them or the patience to bear with his children because he loves them. Each of these things are true, and God never forgets. And when I read the book of Philippians, it reminds me to remember what God has done for me, what God has promised me, and that God will not stop until all his promises come to fulfillment. And church, I don't know if you realize it, but when we take the Lord's Supper, that's exactly what we're doing. We're looking back and remembering Christ. We're, we're looking around and checking our walk with Christ. We're looking ahead to remember the rewards of Christ. And we're, we're also looking around to make sure our relationships are right with our brothers and sisters. So the book of Philippians and the Lord's Supper go hand in hand as all good gospel things should. This morning I'd like to turn your attention to Philippians chapter number 1. And beginning at verse number three, the Bible reads like this. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for this time at this sacred desk. Thank you for this holy and sacred place. Thank you for these sacred people, each one of them knitted together in their mother's womb by your very own hand. Each one of them special and unique, each one of them formed and fashioned in your likeness. This moment, this place, this sacred desk, these sacred people. God, we're here because you have gathered us and we're here to honor you. So open our hearts and renew our affections that we may love Christ with fresh and new and bigger love. Open our minds that we may behold the heights of the heavens. Surely, God, we will only worship to the depth that we know you. So let us know you more. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. You know, I was one of those kids who I never saw a girl that I was too afraid to ask out. And I'd be nervous, but I, I wasn't nervous enough that it would stop me. And one of my favorite things to do, now this, this is back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, some of you guys will remember this vividly. One of my favorite things to do was to write a note. There was no phone. There was no Snapchat. There was no Instagram. You had to get a pencil and a piece of paper. And, and you know, one of the things I like to try to do was to fold it up some fancy kind of way where it'd be hard to unfold and 
And, and I saw my friends had this certain sort of tactic. They would, they would write like things like, really intelligent things like, do you like me? Check one box. <laughs> and they'd have, you know, yes, no, maybe. That, that wasn't my style. I would just write, you like me. And I'd only put one box and put yes beside it. That didn't work out all the time. It felt like a good strategy. You like me. I know you do. You just don't know you do. Now you do. You like me. My wife, my wife has been carrying around a letter in her purse uh, for probably over 20 years. It was a letter when we were dating. I, I messed up, which was about every 15 minutes. And I, I wrote her a letter and it was, it was really sweet and she keeps it in her purse. And I've asked her to throw that thing away. It's incriminating. She also has a letter from her brother when their family was going through a tough time. And, you know, like I said, you, you didn't text, you didn't, all this other stuff. You had to, you had to, you had to take your, your hand and write on a piece of paper. He wrote her a letter just to encourage her, and she carries that letter around with her all the time. When I was in the Army, I got maybe five letters from everybody else in the whole wide world, and I got maybe 500 from one of my grandmothers. And she wrote left-handed. And you could just look at the letter, and, and it was laborious. You know, letters to me are precious. And if you'll track across time, you will see maturity, relationship, challenge. You will see reconciliation. You, you know, you will see across the scope of letters the heart of a person. You go back to my fourth grade days when the heights of my letters were, you like me. All the way to these days when I take very careful care to write down exactly how I feel and to spell it out in no uncertain terms. When I look at the letter to the church at Philippi, when I look at what Paul wrote to these guys, I see the heart of the pastor in the, in the apostle. I see somebody who really loves a people and he wants to convey to these people, not just that he loves them, but the reason why he loves them. And most importantly, that God loves them. And I don't think a church gets transformed until love shapes our experience. Until we so have received God's love that it changes us and makes us vessels or conduits of God's love. So this morning, I want to share with you some, uh, I won't lie and say quick, but I will say brief thoughts on these few verses from the book of Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 through 8. I want to just take a moment to see across the scope of this book what is the pastoral tenderness of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. There is a pastoral tenderness. Now, if you were to look at some of his other letters, like in, in, the, in the letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, he dropped the hammer on them. He, he even used at one point some super strong language. He called them a bunch of fools. Ask them had they been under the spell of some witchcraft. If you look at his letters to the church at Corinth, he, he straight up went professorial and lawman. He's going, man, what in the world are y'all doing? Here's what's right. You're not doing right. Get right. If you look at his letter to his brother pastors, like his letter to to Timothy, there's a couple of letters to Timothy, his letter to Titus, you will see an older, more engaged apostle counseling and instructing and mentoring these younger men. All of Paul's letters reveal something about the man, his ministry, and his heart, but nowhere is Paul so tender as he is here in Philippians. You know, we love in America these days people who will stand up and make a lot of noise. But isn't it refreshing to find somebody who walks softly because God is their big stick? Somebody that doesn't have to run their mouth because they're too busy living their life. I would like to look on social media some days and find such presences. We get the opposite, a lot of noise and not much living. In Paul, we get a lot of living, so the noise is justifiable. Look at his tenderness. If you look across the letter, look at some of the things he says. He says to him here in this passage, I hold you in my heart. 
I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And then further into the book, he says, he says, my beloved. And then in Philippians 4, one, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. It makes me think of a love letter I read one time. It wasn't written to me. It was one guy writing this love letter to a girl. And he begins telling her all the things he would do for her. I would I would swim the deepest oceans. I would climb the highest mountain. I'd brave the hottest deserts. He just says all this stuff. And he says, with all my affectionate love, Dave, P.S., if it doesn't rain too hard next Thursday, I'll see you then. (laughs) Accolades without action are empty. Can I get the ladies in the house to say amen? Amen. If you bring the flowers on February 14th and act like a fool on the 15th, you might as well have left the flowers in the dirt. The Apostle Paul has loved them with sacrificial love. He has loved them with with a pastoral heart. So I believe when we see this tenderness, we should make note of it, and we should learn to expect that from the under-shepherds of God. Yes, we want rocked, ribbed men of God, as Charles Wesley might say. We want those kind of men. Amen? But we also want men who within those rock ribs have a tender heart for God and his people. And I think we should take note of that. Secondly, take note of the shepherdly correction in this letter. I'm going to outline that over the coming weeks. It is gentle, but it is no less firm because it is gentle. In other words, he snatches them up. He's just... A gentleman about how he does it. And what he is telling them here is, it's been, hey guys, it's, it's underwritten here. It's written between the lines. He says, you know, God began a work in y'all 12 years ago, okay? Don't you think that God has let up in that work for one moment? That's a low-key rebuke wrapped in a beautiful piece of encouragement. Don't you think, it's like my daddy looking at me from while he's playing the guitar and singing a song and saying, you're going to get it. And then remembering hours later when we get home, he's saying, don't y'all miss out for a second that the God that delivered you from the snare of Satan, that brought you out of darkness into light, that rescued you from the dominion of evil and put you into the kingdom of his beloved son, that God who forgave your sins by the shed blood of Jesus, who raised you up in the new life by his resurrection, that same God you met. He's got big plans way over here. And from that moment until that time, God is working. Don't you get off course. Teresa Baptist Church, don't you get off course. Don't you get off course. God does use men and women and let the church say amen. Amen. But it is God who is working. Let's take a very short detour. Have you ever really paid attention to Psalm 23? We love to quote it. It's one of my favorite verses, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I will fear no evil. Here's my favorite part in it, for you're with me. You ever been told to go do something by someone who never does anything? You ever, been, you ever done that? You ever had one of those boss men who gives orders but never does work? Whew. He says, I will... I mean, for you are with me. I'm going to fear evil. It's not because I'm big and bad and bold. I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. Here's the part I think we skip over a lot of times. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your staff of guidance, your rod of protection, your staff of faith, because that's the one thing a staff represents, and your rod of fierceness. God gives us the image of a shepherd who has the long staff that he's doing one thing with and the short rod he's doing the other. And have you ever heard the story of how a shepherd uses a rod? If a sheep, when a young sheep keeps running away, that shepherd will break his legs with that rod. They'll take that short, you might think of it as a nightstick, and he will break that sheep's legs and then carry that sheep around their neck. While the, while the leg heals or bruise that leg, injure that leg. You know what he's doing? He is wounding the sheep so that nearness is necessary. So that in the, in the necessary nearness, that sheep learns to trust and love and come very, very intimate with the shepherd. When we think about the correction of God, we need to not just see that he's got a good and 
kind or, 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 or a harsh word wrapped for us in good terms. No, God will whip our behind. And some of y'all don't believe that. So let me show you some other stuff. Look at Revelation 3.19. What does it say here, church? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. (laughs) God says, everybody I love, I discipline them. Love it. That's what he's telling them. Love it. Love my discipline. It means I love you. Love my discipline and turn to the one who loves you. Or look at this, this wonderful passage here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In America, we've been taught that if it going gets hard, run off. Or if it's hard, it must be bad. But in the scriptures, it says if God is chastising you, if God is chastening you, if God is disciplining you, it is a sure sign you are his. Now, let's see if y'all ready to be honest. Who goes to Food Line or the Walmart? Who goes to the grocery store? You ever seen a kid getting out of the way in the grocery store? You ever seen it? Raise your hand. Now, who's really going to be honest? Who's ever had that thought? If they was mine. (laughs) Janice said they were hers. Let me guess. Let me guess. You chastened whom you love. You got them, right? Um, I don't know what sort of mystique and training I must have had as a child, but it was two places. I might act up somewhere, but I did not act up at Gravitz Grocery Store over in South Boston, and I did not act up in the drugstore. I don't know what had happened to me young, but I was thoroughly convinced that if I'd done anything but nod my head and grab the groceries I was told to grab, I would die. My grandmother looked at me one time. I'll never forget. She was talking to her sister, my great aunt, and she pointed at me and said, you see that boy right there? Right now, in kids his age, when one of them is acting ugly, you notice it. She says, by the time he has grandkids, it'll be the other way around. You won't notice the ones acting ugly. You'll notice the ones with manners. That was a prophecy. I've seen it come true. I don't even have grandkids yet, and I've seen it come true. You don't even notice a kid anymore that's running around acting crazy. You notice the one that says, yes, ma'am, and thank you, and so forth. I'm right, aren't I? You know why? Because we've lost touch with our father's love, so we've lost touch in how to be loving fathers. You with me, church? Check out these verses right here. Let me just drive the case home. And these are some among many we could post up here. So So know in your heart that just as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Look at Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, and teach from your law. Proverbs 3, 11, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord and do not loathe his rebuke. Proverbs, I, I, I want you to notice I threw that one in there. That is just about a verbal rebuke. Don't loathe when the Lord is chastening you bodily. Do not loathe when he is chastening you verbally. Proverbs 3, 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves as a father, the son, uh, in whom he delights. Or look at Philippians 1.27. I'll get a little ahead of myself and look at, look at some of this that's coming in this book. Only let your manner of life be, read that word together, church, worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Don't miss what he's saying. Don't give me a reason to scold you. Go ahead and go walk with God and live worthy of his salvation. Live worthy of the good news of Jesus. Or look at this passage in Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What he is scolding the Philippians about is self-centeredness and what he has called him to is Christ-centeredness. And he says, don't you forget to live for Jesus and don't you forget to help each other live for Jesus. I want you just to pause for a second and consider these things as we look toward the Lord's Supper. Are you living a self-centered life or a Christ-centered life? Do you have grudges with anybody in this place? Don't take this cup unless you're willing to resolve a, a grudge. It would be better if you did the awkward thing to, to go grab that person and say, I'm sorry, what can we do to reconcile? And work that out during the Lord's Supper than to take the Lord's Supper without working it out. Paul's letter to the Philippians, if I could put it in modern day person county language, he'd say, you better get off you and get on other folks. The core problem seems to be, even in his pastoral tenderness, the core problem seems to be that the Philippians were stopping understanding that God was still at work and they were returning to a self-centered ideology that was causing them to miss out on the glorious goodness of God in Christ Jesus. If there was ever a culture that was primed for just this sort of thing, it's ours. Me, 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 me. I had to go buy me some new britches last night. Terrifying experience to go shopping. Terrifying. Grown men shouldn't have to do it. And we went to this, I still don't even know how to say it. We went to the Tanger Outlet Mall. I had to go to the big boy britches. Find the big boy short people britches store. That's what it ought to be the name of it. And we walked, and I hardly ever go shopping. Food line, I wish they sold britches at food line. Anybody knows the executives down in Salisbury, talk to them about that. We need a big boy, short man, britches out. I was walking there, and everything in it was about you spending a lot of money to look a certain way. Every, every storefront, every storefront was about looking, you, you know, spending a lot of money to look a certain way, you know. And uh, I don't know, it just struck me. I was thinking about this sermon. I was trying not to keep checking my phone and see how the Virginia game was going. I was trying to talk to my wife. <laughs> I was looking at all this stuff. I told us, I, I bought one pair of big boy britches, had to run. I said, we got to go. I, can't, I just can't do this. Our culture is bent toward self. Do you know it, church? Get yourself comfortable. Get yourself looking nice. Get yourself. Here's the problem I believe they were facing in Philippi. And what happens is when everything is about us, then we don't, we can't have discussions with people. We only have disagreements. Because they're 100% for them and, and I'm 100% for me. And so our agendas run into each other. And this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to just ask yourself, do I have any grudges with anybody? Should I solve these things? What had happened to the Apostle Paul is the grace of God had touched his heart and he had become others focused. I love that acrostic joy. Jesus, others, then yourself. And if you've waded through a ton of attention on Jesus, and if you have waded through a ton of service toward others, by the time you get to you, you're in a whole different mind frame. But if you only wade in for yourself, you've got little left over for Jesus and others. It's very difficult. Do you have grudges with people this morning? Do you have any sin issues that you need to take to the Lord? I should tell you the good news is this. There's good news. Right? First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, if we agree with God, He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is waiting to forgive His children and He is waiting to adopt new kids. So let me move to my second sermon very quickly. Yes, I did say my second sermon. But not before I remind you of this. I put it up in a paraphrase. I'll just read the yellow part. This is from the teaching of Jesus. He, he would say this. If you enter your place of worship, and we're here, amen, we're here. Amen. You enter your place of worship, and you're about to make an offering. Not just the, the alms offering of your money, but the offering of your worship. The offering of your speech, the offering of 
you're gifting. If you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, right? And the point isn't who remembers it first. The point is whoever remembers it, whether you've done it or it's been done to you, whoever is hurting and thinking of it, they go to the other person. You know what it says here? Abandon your offering. In other words, stop what you're doing. Stop what you do. Jesus says it's so important to have fellowship that is free with your brothers and sisters. Patty, I'm going to pick on you because I know know you'll let me. If you're sitting there playing that organ and you remember that you got an unsettled conflict with one of your brothers and sisters, it is so vital. It would be better to leave us singing a cappella and go settle that grudge. And when you're done, come back and get in tune with us. Mackenzie, it'd be better if you just abandoned the, the PowerPoint, amen, and you got a problem with somebody, you just say, I, I don't care how many things Tim says, I'm not switching nothing until I go get this right. You're singing a hymn of invitation, it would be better if you abandoned your singing and went and reconciled with your brother and sister and then came back and made an offering. You know why? Because you're free of guilt, free of shame, you're on the pathway to restoration. You might not be full of the free of the pain yet, but you're on the pathway to restoration. Jesus says, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, make things right, then and only then, come back and work things out with God. His principle is, how in the world are you going to say you're worshiping a God you can't see when you won't even get right with your brothers and sisters you do see? Somebody say amen. Y'all don't help me, I'm going to go back and preach it again. Thank you, Cindy. They thought I was kidding, didn't they, girl? What is at stake? This is our holy, eternal family. And I believe what was going on in the church at Philippi is they were fine folks, many of them, most of them. They could be characterized as being focused on the gospel better than other churches. But they won't just like Jesus. And you just tell by the evidence here, they're just focused on self too much. So let me give you something real quick. Second sermon real quick. You ready? Just say you're ready whether you are or not. Who lied? Hmm. Let us understand that in our salvation, what Jesus does, he makes our hearts bigger. Who remembers the Grinch? That's such a great scene when all of us, he hears them singing. They have joy, whatever they were, the Whoville or whatever. They have joy in spite of their circumstances. So they're singing. And when he hears them singing, it strikes their witness. Their witness impresses him. What was their witness? They were singing in joy despite the material side of their, you know, Christmas being wrecked. It touched the Grinch. And I said, on that day, the Grinch's heart grew three times the size or something. I'm not much on cartoons, but this is one of my favorites. I love that. Jesus makes your heart bigger. You, you know, just think about how you came into the gospel. You never deserved to be there. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. We never deserve to be there. So being accepted, being forgiven, being united in Jesus, it ought to make your heart so big. And that's what Paul is saying to him here. My heart is big. And if you went back and looked at the passage, what we discover is this love has some, we can describe it in some ways. He basically, God gives Paul a wide love for those believers. How many times does he say, you all, you all, you all? <clears throat> He's from the south that have been read a whole lot shorter. I love y'all. Y'all is good. Amen. How many times does he say it? Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, he says, I'm sure that he who began a work, a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all and to hold you in my heart for you all are partakers of me of grace. You, You know, my heart's been made big and the same God is making your heart big. And he said... I love God and I I love y'all. If you walk in this church and you don't feel like I love God and I love y'all, 
then what God wants you to do is connect with that grace-stretching heart, that love-stretching heart. God wants to touch you and make wide your heart, make more room in your heart for, for God today, more, make more room in your heart for others. Self-centeredness narrows the heart. Love widens it. Secondly, Jesus gave Paul an intense love. Man, it's intense. If you, if you look at the things he's saying, I, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you. I've always, I've quoted it at least a thousand times preaching. I've always loved that one pop song. I love what it's saying. I want to know what love is and I want you to show me. And then it gets really intense. A little too personal. It says, I want to feel what love is and I want you to hold me. Man, let me preach to y'all a minute. You know how many of your wives are singing that to you without the lyrics? They're saying, I want you, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I want you to hold me. Hold my hand. Hold my heart. Paul, Paul, Paul didn't know that song, but he was singing it to these cats. He really was. But he's singing it like this. I want you to know what love is. And I'm going to show you. I want you to feel what love is, and I'm going to hold you. Man, it's intense. It's intense. I didn't have a phone growing up. So one of my other tricks I would do as I press toward a quick close is I would, uh, and, and, you know, you, you, you have to have grown up in the pre-cell phone age to even understand this story. Uh, the phone I borrowed the most was my mother's mother's phone. It was one of those rotary. And, you know, it's aggravating around here, all these 599 numbers. It took three days to dial, you know, seven digits. Well, one of the things I would do to girls, I was terrible. I was terrible. Praise God. I was terrible. He delivered me. Is I would tell them, I say, uh, give me the first three numbers of your telephone number. And, you know, if you was really blessed, they lived in Timberlake and would say, 364, because it didn't take so long. And they would start to give me the rest. I said, no, I don't want the other ones. I'm going to figure it out. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to start with four zeros. And I'm going to keep dialing until I get you, girl. <laughs> you come to school a couple of days later, you ain't called me. I'm on 0614. <laughs> My first number seven. So now you're at 7,000. <laughs> you ain't called me. I'm at 7342. <laughs> Second number's a six. <laughs> Some girls would just break down and say, oh, take it. Just take it. <laughs> they didn't want to go out with me, but I was pretty entertaining. This is intense. Don't miss it in the language. He said, oh, man, I got y'all in my heart. And I wouldn't even have room in my heart if God hadn't have made my heart big. That's our problem. We haven't been to the heart-stretching God in a while. Also, we see that Paul has a, uh, Jesus gave Paul a shared mission love. You know, what he says to these people, you know, one of the things I like so much about y'all, here it says in verses 7 and 8, is y'all been my partner. We've been together. You, you struggled with me and you rejoiced with me. Right? Sometimes it's easier to struggle with people than to rejoice with them, isn't it? But he says both. Y'all been on mission with me. You've been on mission. And in particular, not just any old mission, gospel, good news mission. You guys have joined with me. Now, don't get self-centered. Don't get self-centered. Watch out for it. So what happens is the Philippians become for Paul a source of perspective-restoring joy. In other words, he remembers what God has done, and while he is literally sitting in chains, he's not sitting behind bars, he's literally chained to a guard. Think about that. I mean, just think about it, if one of y'all's job would stay chained to me about 12 hours a day. Lord Almighty, that'd be like torture for you, wouldn't it? Well, we trip out a lot, I can tell you that. So he was chained to these guards. He says, y'all have been my prisoners while I was in chains. While I couldn't go with the gospel, you've been going with the gospel. When the gospel put me in these chains, you fed me in these chains. The partnership was real. They shared in the suffering, and they shared in the joy, and they shared in the mission. That's how it restored his perspective. 
There's so much more I want to say. We need to really look where we are this morning. If your love isn't big for God, I have a real simple challenge for you. I have a simple, I have a twofold challenge. One, ask him, give me big love. And then I, I, I challenge you believers in particular, just, just sit down to, with the gospel of John over the next few days and just get reintroduced. If, if you will, just get reintroduced to Jesus in a fresh way. But start with asking him, give me a big love. Give me a big love for others. And, and if you can't do that, I have a twofold challenge for you there. Find 10 believers and listen to their story. Yeah, go visiting and ask people to tell you about their walk with the Lord. Do it. You'll get your mind off you. And then find 10 people that you don't know whether they know the Lord or not, and go witness to them. When you get back on the gospel and you get back on others, your joy and your perspective will be restored. If you look around America and see all the mess you ain't got constantly, if you look at your pill bottles and see all that's wrong with you constantly, if you stare at the TV and listen to all the foolishness on Fox and CNN or whatever it is, Man, you're going to go crazy. But if you will go and care about people and listen to people, and if you will go and talk about Jesus, I, I'm no doctor. But if I were, this is my prescription. Paul's sitting in jail. He said, you know what really brings me joy? He's chained to a guy. You know what really brings me joy? Thinking about what God has done and will do in y'all. You know what really brings me joy? Knowing that y'all are continuing the work of the gospel. You want joy? Get off of you. And there's no better place to start this morning than the Lord's Supper. There's no better place to start. Amen? Amen. So this morning, our time of invitation, let me ask you a question. Has he begun a good work in you? If he hasn't begun a work, you have to let the workman take control. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, profess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says in John 1.12 that if you believe on that name and receive him, Receive him as Lord. If you receive him and enthrone him in the seat of your affections, <clears throat> if he becomes the highest idea in your mind, if you trust that his blood paid for your sin, if you trust that his resurrection will raise you up too, if you believe and receive him, you'll be saved. Saved from the devil, saved from judgment, saved from hell, saved from your sin, and saved unto heaven and eternal bliss in fellowship with God. That's what being saved means. And it's all wrapped up in Jesus. Has he begun a good work in you? Today might be the day to hand him the shovel. Believers, are you fully embracing God's good work in your life today? I mean, really, have you lately, lately have you written a letter to God and said, Dear God, do anything you want to do in me. Leave plenty of pages on the paper and say, Yours in Jesus, Tim. And let him, let him, just let him do anything he wants to do. If, if he wants you to, 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 to uh, reconcile a relationship this morning, will you say, yes, I will sacrifice my pride and get right with them and you. If, if, he's, if he's wanting you, I mean, you know, so, some folks in this room, the, the, the issue that's holding you back with God is you won't witness. Some of you won't give. Some of you, you, you know, you'll come and sit in this space, but you won't engage with the body of Christ. Will you let him have his way with you today? Are you embracing his growing you? Or you just have you have you made a religion that you can handle pretty good and you just you just do that? As you approach the Lord's Supper, you want to take the cup with a clear conscience. So the invitation is for those who need a, a good work to begin, and the invitation this morning are for those who need to say to God in a fresh way. Have your way in me. Father, as we sing together, prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. In Jesus I pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 513.
also a time to, to literally, you know, sell grudges. Uh, one thing many denominations do is they pass the peace before they take the Lord's Supper. You, you literally are expected to go around and, and, and say peace to everybody. And if you can't say peace to them, you're expected on that spot to, to work out a difference. I find that amazing in lieu of what we've been preaching on out of Philippians chapter 1 this morning. I find it amazing because of this. What they most enjoy is a good relationship. Whatever problem they're facing, they have a good relationship. And what that does is you remember you can face it together. Together. You're not beefing with one another as the young people say. So this morning as we think about the Lord's Supper, what he instituted was, was during the celebration of Passover, it was like saying, who's with God? If you believe God, paint your door with his blood. If you're with God, do it. And he institutes the Lord's Supper during that, that celebration of Passover. And it's like saying, this is the sign, I'm with you. So you take it to remember, I'm with you. I'm with you. And he's a good, good father. He's with us for our good. If he chastens us, it's for our good. So this morning, I, I want to take a cup with a joyful heart. Don't you? Amen? Amen. So if there's anything between you and the Lord, the good news is if you'll confess your sins, he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and you can take the cup with joy. <coughs> when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, this is what he said. The hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired. You hear that? He's holding them in his heart. He's tense, passionate about them in his heart. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he says, take this and divide it among yourselves. See that? Take this. He gave them a shared experience, even in that remembrance. So as we start this morning, I want you to see there's a shared experience in the cup. And then what does he do? He takes the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given, given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. He tells them the significance of the cup. In Luke 22, verse 20, he says the significance is this. This cup that is poured out of you is the new covenant in my blood. You also come back here and you remember that your clinging to Jesus is what makes God approve you. It's not your good works. You're not, you're not thrown away because you failed and you don't earn a spot because you're good. You're accepted in spite of your failures because God is good. And this cup and this bread reminds us of that. Let the church say amen. Amen. Deacons, if you would come forward. Amen. Would you thank God for the bread? Dear Lord, again, as we come to this part of the service, we thank you for all you do for us, dear Lord. And we take this symbol to recognize your body broken for us. And then we just thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.